Hi, I'm Dave Bushong, KZ1O, and this is 99hobbies.com. Welcome to 99hobbies.com. Today we're going to talk about a couple things actually, uh, 160 and operating DX. And there's two hobbies right there. Um, on the line right now I have Don, W5FKX. Hi Don, can you hear me okay? Good morning Dave, reading you loud and clear okay. here in the uh, suburbs of New Orleans. Great, well thanks for joining us today. Uh, Don, I read your article about antennas for the top band, that is 160 meters, and I'd like to talk some more about that, but before we do, let's make sure our listeners know a little bit about why 160 is different from the rest of the HF bands, okay? Sure. I think that each band really has its own personality, and some even have nicknames like the Top Band and the Magic Band and so forth. Um, how would you describe 160's personality? That's a very interesting way of putting it in terms of personality. Uh, there's no question that each of the uh, ham bands has a distinct uh, set of characteristics, and uh, I think calling it personality is a very apt way of putting it. 160 certainly has a personality, and it also has a nickname. Uh, which you've already mentioned, top band. And it, sometimes it gives people uh, a pause when you say top band because most of us are used to thinking of uh, radio in terms of frequency. And we know that uh, as you go up in frequency, higher and higher in frequency, we know something about the characteristics of that. And uh, most people also know that uh, the higher the frequencies, the shorter the wavelength. But the idea of talking about a top band uh, brings up some interesting questions. And I think one of the things that goes into the personality of uh, 160 meters um, is the fact that it carries quite a bit of the history of the early development of ham radio. Hmm. So to understand the top band, let's review a little bit of the wireless history, and uh, perhaps it'll uh, help uh, people to uh, realize what top band really means. In the beginning days of radio, uh, we really, I say we, I shouldn't say we, <laughs> the early developers, uh, I'm, I might be old, but I'm not that old, uh, the early developers really didn't have a appreciation of frequency. They talked in terms of wavelength being used. Uh, they didn't say, I'm going up in frequency or I'm going down in frequency. They would say, we're changing wavelength. We're going up in wavelength or down in wavelength. Okay. And once radio was developed to the point where the government started to make use of it and commercial interests came into play, spectrum allocation was done in terms of wavelength. And government and commercial uh, stations claim the very long wavelengths uh, above 200 meters in length. Now, one meter is a little over three feet, mm -hmm. so 200 meters is well over, uh, in fact, it's almost 700 feet. Okay. Commercial stations were operating with wavelengths from 700 feet up to a mile or more. They didn't think much about anything of the shorter wavelengths, so... What did they do? They gave that to the hams. And that was for the hams to play with. And, of course, the hams played with it, and play they did. Uh, that's how 160 meters got started, because it was uh, below 200 meters. 
And as the ham started to experiment with the shorter and shorter wavelengths, we came up with the 80-meter uh, band and uh, then the 40-meter band and, and so on, shorter and shorter wavelengths uh, down to the uh, single-meter bands. In the spectrum allocation chart, all of these were based on wavelength. And at the very top of the spectrum allocation chart for the hams was 160 meters. Okay. So it got its name, the top band. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess you can kind of get an idea of the size of the antenna that you'd naturally have based on the, on the, the meter name that each band would have, right? Correct. And uh, 160 meters means that it's approximately 160 meter wavelength, which is, uh, again, multiplying that by three, or if you want to be a little more precise, uh, 3.3, that's uh, uh, a little over 500 feet. Okay. Half a wavelength would be 240. Okay. And um, how... How would you describe, say, the the people that you meet on 160? Do you think you have a, a different crowd than you might, um, say, here on uh, the 20-meter DX window or something like that? Yes, uh, I, I think it's fair to say that uh, there's one of the distinct uh, parts of the personality, actually, of 160 that makes it uh, somewhat unique is that, uh, and of course, let me preface that by saying that I, I think uh, all hams by and large are friendly and helpful. Mm-hmm. But uh, the one thing that stands out more than on any other band on top, on 160, on top band, that there seems to be uh, a greater prevalence of uh, courteous operating practice. Maybe one of the reasons for this is that uh, it's a little more difficult to operate on 160 uh, much more of a challenge than the other bands. Uh, one of the reasons, as we mentioned, is the long wavelength and the size of the antennas. And, of course, it's not to say that everything is always perfect on 160, but it does really offer a refreshing change from some of the uh, uh, things that one is more likely to encounter on the higher bands. Um, I've also heard it called the gentleman's band, I think. Um, that that kind of fits in with uh, the experience that, that you and I have both had on uh, 160. Absolutely. Uh, that's why I said I, I think there's a greater uh, prevalence of courteous, uh, courteous operating practices on 160. Uh, people are friendlier. They, uh, they tend to have a little more respect for... Um, operating practice, correct operating practice, and uh, as it really is a refreshing uh, experience. That's great. That's uh, that's the same experience I've had, too. I really enjoy it. Um, now, is is 160 good uh, 24 hours a day like some bands are? Well, uh, unfortunately, no. Uh, 160 is basically a nighttime band, and the reason for that is that during the daytime, uh, the, there's very high absorption of the low frequencies, and consequently, uh, signals on the 160 band are readily absorbed before they can propagate very far. And of course, it's possible to talk to your neighbors or uh, in the local area if uh, if you really want to try that. But as far as any kind of uh, 
uh, medium or long distance communication that's reserved for the nighttime hours. Okay. And you mentioned before the um, a full-size dipole would be 240 feet, but do you really need to have that much space to put up an antenna for 160? Well, if you really want to have the best, it would be nice to have acres and acres of uh, property to install the antennas. And that's the usual perception that most people have of 160 meters. As I mentioned in the uh, QST article, it's one of the things that kept me off the band for the first 40 years of my uh, ham radio operating. I had the feeling that unless you had a huge tract of land to put up antennas, it was fruitless to even try to operate on 160. Mm-hmm. And I was dispelled of that notion uh, one evening when I tried operating with uh, the available antenna I had that was closest to 160 meters, and that was an inverted V, an upside-down V dipole cut for 80 meters, Mm -hmm. which is about 130 feet long overall. And lo and behold, I was able to make some contacts, and I had a very enjoyable experience. So that set me off in uh, the direction of trying to develop a more efficient uh, antenna on 160 meters. And I found that there are ways to erect antennas that would fit into uh, a small urban lot such as that which I have. I'll put a, actually a reference to that article in the show notes here so people, if they, if they did miss the article, they can go back and read it. I really enjoyed that. Um, oh, thanks for saying that. We, uh, a lot of our listeners are, um, are DXers and contesters. Are, is anybody going to find DX on 160? Yes. Again, one of the notions, early notions that I had was that uh, it was virtually impossible to work DX on 160. And uh, even in my first experience with a very limited antenna, the 80-meter inverted V that I mentioned, uh, I was able to uh, work a a couple of uh, DX stations in the Caribbean. And I was uh, really excited about that. Sure. Because it was just counter to everything (laughs) my preconceived notions uh, told me I I should expect. So, to answer your question, there is a lot of DX on 160 meters. Um, in fact, uh, there are quite a number of people who have worked several hundred uh, DXCC entities, that is, uh, distant locations scattered all over the globe. Hmm. It is kind of uh, counterintuitive, but um, especially when you're using the wrong antenna to work DX. <laughs> But it's like what you were talking about earlier, that, that uh, hams being using ingenuity to come up with a way to solve a problem. It sounds like that happened there. Yes. The, the problem I had was, uh, first of all, uh, the lot size. I mm-hmm. couldn't get anything more than an 80-meter uh, antenna. In fact, I couldn't even get a full 80-meter antenna. That's why I used the inverted V with the, the, the legs sloping down from the apex. Mm-hmm because um, the lot is just about 100 feet long. But uh, what I found was that a number of 
uh, articles cited the uh, what was called the inverted L or an upside down L as being uh, a fairly effective antenna on 160 meters. Uh, the vertical part uh, being as uh, tall as one can make it, uh, the taller the better, and the rest of the antenna being horizontal, uh, forming the, uh, the leg of the L. So I found that I had two uh, fairly conveniently located trees, one on the back property line and one near the front property line. Hmm. Uh, and I put up uh, what, what amounts to simply a 130-foot-long wire that goes up the back tree over a pulley that's suspended from a branch and out to the front tree. And I feed that at the base with coaxial cable. And then I ran a few scattered uh, uh, radials, that is, ground wires, mm-hmm. to form uh, a, a bed of conductive material at the base of the antenna. And these are of random length, basically uh, mostly about 65 feet long. Uh, which is approximately one-eighth wavelength on 160 meters. A couple of them are longer than that. And what I found was that it worked very well. I was very pleased with the results. I was able to work even more DX. I was able to hear more DX. Uh, It's a noisy antenna, as vertical antennas tend to be. They are highly susceptible uh, to man-made noise. But despite that, I was still successful in working uh, DXCC, and uh, that was absolutely one of the biggest thrills in my 50-plus years on ham radio. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, You had uh, mentioned earlier uh, that you had a resource for people that would be interested in uh, learning about working DX. Um, Why don't we spend a couple minutes talking about that? Okay. Um, One of the things I did uh, after I retired uh, a little over a year ago was start to develop a website to collect information and put together information sources on uh, DXing for, uh, at first mostly for beginners, but as it grew, uh, I think it's uh, probably of interest to uh, just about everyone. It, uh, I call it the ABCs of DXing, and it's a website that has a link from our local DX Club website, uh, which I'll tell you about in a minute. Okay. But uh, in, in essence, the ABCs of DXing um, presents a basic tutorial on how to get started in DXing, what to which bands are satisfactory at which times. Uh, the uh, I have a section on antennas or a chapter on antennas that discusses uh, some very basic antenna theory and goes through the uh, antenna types that are suitable for DXing from the, the simplest, which is a random wire going up uh, as high as and as long as you can make it, to uh, directional antennas. There's a chapter on uh, ionospheric uh, 
propagation and the theory of propagation. The idea being to try to keep the theory at a minimum, but introduce enough theory to give it uh, at least some substantial basis of explanation. And the whole site is, has grown to be fairly expansive at this point. Uh, hopefully it'll be of some use. It's still, I, I still call it a beta site because it's still under development, but it's open to the public now. And to get to it, uh, all one needs to do is go to our Delta DX Association webpage, and that is at www.deltadx.net. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes, too, so that people will be sure to get it right. And on that page, you'll see uh, under the, the Delta DX logo, a list of uh, a short menu and ABCDX is listed there. Okay, great. That sounds like something just about everybody would find useful, even if they weren't into DXing, just to understand propagation and antennas and so forth from a, a practical standpoint. Yes, I think it probably would be useful to, in fact, I know it would be useful to some people who are just interested in uh, learning a little more about um, basic antennas or about basic propagation. Well, that sounds like a gold mine of information. I really appreciate you uh, sharing that with all of us. Well, thank you, Dave. Well, Don Boudreau, W5FKX, thanks for joining us on 99 Hobbies, 73. 73, Dave, and thanks for having me.